Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you would like to join the best digital marketing agency community on the planet and let us help you scale, go to twiz.io to sign up today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How to Scale an Agency. I'm on with Rob of Humans First. Really excited to have him on the show. Rob, thanks for coming on. You are a, a nine-time founder. Uh, you are a mentor for Techstars, and now you're also helping companies, a lot of agencies with their finances, helping them grow and scale. So thank you so much for being on the show. I'm excited to talk to you and see what our agency audience can learn from this. Yeah, thanks so much, Lucas. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, yeah, as a fractional CFO, I definitely work with a lot of marketing agencies and glad to share my knowledge today. I love it. So you're a nine-time founder. What businesses have you founded? Yeah, so I owned three health clubs in three different states, four cell phone repair stores, a technology startup, and then I've sold all those. And I have my current consultancy, Humans First, which offers the fractional CFO services. So um, nine businesses in total. That's amazing. We had a great conversation yesterday about something that I'm trying to work on. And I have to imagine based on what you said that you were the only health club offering I think it was 18 to 24 month contracts for your clients and everyone else was doing monthly subscriptions. This is something that I'm trying to work on right now. And I really want to start the conversation off with why it's important to have long-term contracts or just to get clients in the mindset of staying with you for a while. Uh, it seems like those forever partnerships is something that you've been able to really build substantially for the businesses that you have built. So uh, could you share a little bit about that and why you think that's important for companies? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the first things is, and I think in sales, the terminology and the wording they use is very specific and makes a big difference. We would always say it's an 18 or 24 month agreement agreement has the word agree in it, which sounds much more favorable than contract. So mm. I would always train my staff to talk about, we have 18 agree month agreements and 24 month agreements. And um, yeah, you know, it was very difficult at first because uh, like I was telling you yesterday, we were in an industry that's super, you know, the gym industry is very hyper competitive. We had competitors down the block that were charging one quarter the price that we were and had month to month agreements. Yeah. And so you would ask, well, how on earth could you compete with that? And you know, we decided to compete not on the agreement terms, but on quality, right? And, you know, my goal when someone walked in the door of my health club was to show them, hey, we are truly here to help you. And yeah, I get that there's lower cost competitors that offer more flexibility. But when you come here, you're making a commitment to your health and fitness. And that's something that a lot of people want. They want to be healthy for the long term, not just for some short period of time. And so from a marketing agency perspective, I think it could be very similar, like a very similar conversation with your potential clients or your prospects. You would want to say something like, well, it seems like, you know, you would like to, in, you know, permanently increase sales by 15%. Is that correct? And of course, everyone would say yes. And and so, this, you know, then you could say, well, in order for you to continue to increase sales, we're going to need to continue to do marketing and other similar types of uh, services because that's what's going to be necessary in order to get this permanent increase in your business. And so I, I think it's really just t talking about 
in, in thinking about the way you frame it to someone and helping them understand that, you know, for you to create lasting change, that prospect needs to be committed to the process and continue to do that process. The thing I love about <clears throat> what, what I'm assuming uh, you did, because I, I, I have to ask, but one thing that people also get stuck in, and I, I was definitely kind of stuck in as well, is the whole results guaranteed thing. I don't know, did you guys offer like a guarantee of results? Because I know that for me, I'm trying to be more uh, just straightforward with people and just say, look, if I could like rub you know, a lamp and, and grant your wish and say that you're going to magically get like $10 million in new sales, that'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. But it's also very difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. So what did you guys do? Did you guys have guarantees on results or did you not? What was the strategy there? Yeah, I mean, it's in, especially with someone's health and fitness, it's very difficult to guarantee anything because, you know, your health and fitness is determined not just by what you do in the gym, but by what you eat. And actually, yeah. eighty percent of your of your new of your of weight loss is what you eat, not your right. your workout. So, no, we did not have guarantees for the client. However, we did tell the client what we would do, and we were very you know clear about that. Hey, I'm gonna if you don't come to the gym, Lucas, um, and I see you're not using the gym because we had this set of key card swipes, you know, that you could see in our system. Hey, Lucas, I I know that if you don't come to the gym, we're gonna call you and not berate you, but say, hey, man, we're we're we see that you haven't used the gym in the last month. You know, what's going on? Is everything okay? Can we help you? And we would definitely make promises about what we could do for the client. Now, whether or not they, you know, took us up on those things is their decision, right? But at least we could say what we would do on our behalf. And I feel like the marketing agency, um, people listening to this call could do exactly the same thing. You could say, hey, well, look, we will we're willing to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that you get the best results possible. And we've found in the past that this is, you know, what has gotten our, our really successful clients to where they are today. This makes me so happy to hear because that's what I'm dealing with right now is, uh, especially when you offer something like lead generation, which is one of the things we've become pretty proficient in, is you really have to deal with all of the other companies that are offering um, results-based marketing. But the thing that's so funny about this uh, in a tragic way is that when someone offers a guarantee of results, they're just doing that to get the company through the door. But when you ask them like how many people actually achieve the results, it's almost nobody. But what, what happens is those people will find some other kind of value in the service and then they'll end up staying maybe a lot of them churn. And I think that it's, it's, it's just, it's not the most transparent or honest thing to do. I don't think to, to tell someone, Hey, I guarantee you're going to get this many results. And then when they don't just kind of bank on the fact that, that they'll probably forget about it. They won't even think about it in three months. It's not really the yeah. most consistent with like the principles of a scaled up business. You know, I think it's, it's music to my ears hearing this. So yeah, well, one of the things that I, and this is sort of hard to put into words, but one of the things that I truly believe is is why, um, you know, my clients like working with me is because I really am, am truly invested in their success and I really want the best for them. And I know that that's hard to, you know, you say like, well, what does that look like? And I can't really, um, I can't really tell you in a few sentences, you know, what I do to do that. But I think when someone can tell that you truly have their best interests in mind and that you really are putting forth your best effort, even if you're not as successful as you hoped 
the, you would be, they still appreciate what you're trying to do for them and they're, and they're not going to hold that against you. Yeah. I think it's about selling that relationship too. I think that's key. And I think too, it's when you, when you sell based on results and uh, not on, on value and all you're ba basing it on is I'm going to guarantee you something that is honestly highly unrealistic for me to guarantee, then they're always going to be judging you by that, that metric and those metrics, and they're going to be commoditizing you and your service as opposed to valuing the relationship, valuing you as an individual. And I think that, you know, it is scary for, and I would be willing to bet that honestly, the majority of the people listening to this podcast probably have their clients on monthly subscriptions because it's sort of a really popular thing right now in the agency space is to have monthly subscription contracts. I'd be willing to bet the whole concept of pushing people to sign three month, six month, 12 month contracts is scary for a lot of people. And as somebody who has struggled with that, because we used to have long-term contracts, we got rid of them and then now we're bringing them back because of these reasons. I, I, I'm, I'm realizing how scary it could be to make that transition. But the greatest part about it was that once I did it, it actually started to work instantly. Like it wasn't actually that hard. It just required me to change a couple things, change the pitch a little bit. And to your point, people ask me all the time, like, what's the guarantee? And I say, look, I can't guarantee this for you, but I'm going to pro provide a lot of value. I'm going to, this is what I've done for myself. I'm kind of like a financial advisor in that sense. Like if you go to a financial advisor, it would be illegal for them to guarantee a fixed return on something. Yes. So you, what, what other industry is that, uh, does that happen? Right. And I think that's why, um, it can just seem spammy. It can commoditize your service. If you're, if you're, if you're just purely going on that. And it also is a lack of incentives because if you know that the client's going to leave at a certain point because they'll eventually realize, hey, I'm not getting the results that you said, then nobody really performs as well as they should internally with operations and everything like that. So definitely music to my ears. Can you explain to the audience, you know, what was that experience like for you when you did start doing it? Did you used to not have long-term contracts? Was there like a transition process for you? Because the thing that's interesting about your story is that you've had nine businesses, but you've also sold some of those businesses, correct? Is that is that the sold case? Sold eight of the nine, yeah. It's eight of the nine, right. So like you've done this now. It's like a just really consistent for you. So what's that process been? Yeah, well, well in terms of the agreements, um, we did start you know, selling agreements, 18 and 24 month agreements. So we, we'd never had a period where there was month to month, but it was just, you know, at the time, I mean, my, my first gym was my first business that I ever owned, you know, so I didn't, I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know anything about management. I'd never managed people. I'd never managed the business. I yeah. never sold anything in a formal context. So I was new to all that. So that all was very hard for me. And right. I, you know, I learned an awful lot in the first few years, <laughs> um, made a lot of mistakes. But, you know, interestingly, one of the things that I did before I even started the business was this was a franchise, you know, Anytime Fitness was the franchise. I was a franchisee. Um, I went to the franchise before I even signed the paperwork. And I said, I would like to talk to, you know, as many owners as possible about the, you know, your franchise. And then I, I called up about a dozen people and I took notes on every single call that I made about what, what are the things that they did that they felt were successful. And then I also asked the franchise, well, who are the top franchisees? Like, who are the people who are the best at this? And then I talked to them. And one of those people I, I'm still friends with today, you know, she's helped me through. She's owned uh, almost 20 health clubs and, uh, you know, has been super successful. And so I think, you know, looking at people who have been successful in an industry 
and then figuring out what they did and not reinventing the wheel, you know, that's essentially what you're doing right now. If, if your listeners are doing on this podcast is they're, you know, listening to people who have done this before and who, you know, have a track record that to me is a, a smart way to do business and not only save you time, but increase your performance. Yeah. Well, what was the reason for 18 to 24 months? Because I think that when I hear the whole health club analogy, it sounds very similar to the marketing agency world, because again, there is just so much commoditization in that space in uh, marketing agencies. So why 18 to 24 months? Why not like six months or like a year? What was the reason behind that? Because I just wanted the longest agreement that I could convince someone to do. And, you know, a lot of other health, a lot of other any times did offer 12 and 18 months, but I decided to do 18 and 24. And I, I, I would have to just double check my records, but I'm pretty sure that 24 months was also the longest legal agreement that you could make for a health club in Wisconsin. Oh, wow. I couldn't have even gone any farther if I wanted to. But I mean, the point yeah. was, is I wanted you to be in there, you know, w- with my business as long as possible, because that was the best, you know, financial stability for me. It created the most stability in the business. And in- interestingly, one other point that I think is very helpful for churn or for uh, attrition, almost all the other health clubs offered credit card payments. Mm. I did not ever. Like I, mm. I would only allow a bank draft. And you would say, well, why is that a big deal? Why is that a difference? The difference is a bank account doesn't expire and doesn't you know, get lost typically, whereas a credit card expires and a credit card can get lost easily. Mm-hmm. And so all the gyms that had credit cards at, for payment would have a ton of payment problems. And so not only would they not collect as much money, but there would be higher churn because of that. Because of my, um, because of my uh, you know, bank payments only, I, in, the, in the entire system of 2,000 clubs worldwide, I was in the top 100 for attrition. Oh, I was wow. in the top 100 best. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, you're, uh, uh, I, it's just like, it almost is like you're on a different planet than, uh, than us when it comes to this stuff. I mean, it's like, I'm just thinking, how, how did he do this? Like, how did he actually get this to work? This is like so cool to hear. And I think that, you know, w- one thing I'm also curious about is, you know, yes, you got the operations down and you were able to build these long relationships, but how did you go about actually getting these people to be introduced to your company? Was it through, you know, always like word of mouth? Was it, uh, what was the, what was the primary channels for something like this? Like, how did you get them in the door when you did this? Yeah. So, I mean, we did a lot of, you know, this, this, (laughs) the people on this podcast will probably laugh, you know, because (laughs) some of the methods were very traditional, we'll say. And this was back, I started this business in 2011, right? So it was a very different time, you know, Facebook wasn't as popular, all that. So actually, believe it or not, one of our most successful marketing campaigns was direct mail. So for about 40 cents, you send this big postcard in the mail to, you know, let's call it, um, you know, 10,000 people. So that cost me about $4,000, right? But I would get, you know, between 50 and you know 60 members from that during a big sale that's an inc- that's an incredible customer acquisition cost and the so my customer acquisition cost was maybe you know around $100 and my lifetime value was about 900 mm. that's what a, that's what an agreement was worth on average so like that was an insane yeah. to LTV ratio and that worked out really well for us right Right. No, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. And, and let me ask you this because, um, 
I've talked to a lot of different people who've had successful businesses who have been able to do what you've done, um, you know, built like huge companies and everything like that, sold them. And it's almost always from a similar strategy of like retaining clients for a super long time. But I think where inexperienced sales reps go wrong and inexperienced companies, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're approaching our sixth year now. So it's like, we're still kind of green a little bit, but uh, we're learning. But the thing that I, I've noticed is that you kind of get a little bit manhandled by these clients sometimes or customers, not clients, customers from uh, people coming through the door and like telling you what they want. They'll be like, oh, well, this other company said that they could do it for a monthly subscription or they sell it, they said that, you know, they could do it for less or so how, what is that? What are the stages of the close when it comes to getting somebody who is coming in the door and saying, this is what I want. I demand this, getting them from that to a purchaser. Like, is there a transitionary phase or how do you, how do you work that? Yeah. So I'll tell you a quick story about um, one of my cell phone repair store customers that came in or potential customers and I will illustrate what you're saying. So this guy, I, this, my store was in Milwaukee and this guy had driven from Chicago. I think he was just driving around the area and driving through Milwaukee. And so this guy came in with his son, his son was maybe six years old. Right. And he brought in a cell phone and it was water damaged, you know, and it was so, you know, that the phone didn't turn on, you know, you could see that there was, you know, some water in the phone, there was evidence of that. And so I was trying to explain to the man that, Whenever we clean a cell phone and try to, you know, get it working from water damage, there's only a 50% chance at best that we would get it working. But if, and if we got it working, there was a fee. And if we didn't get it working, there was no fee. You know, it didn't cost you anything. But also in the process of doing that, sometimes if there's components that are fused together because of the water, it can damage the components and then the, the phone could be not repairable, right? And that's not our fault because, you know, we didn't put the water in the phone. And so I, as I was explaining this to the guy, he just wasn't, it like wasn't clicking for him. He's like, well, you're going to fix the phone, right? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I I'll do my best, but I, uh, there's only a, maybe a 50% chance that it will work. And he just couldn't accept that as a, as a reality. And so I just told him, look, you know, I, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to work for us to be able to help you with this phone today. And the guy got upset. But, you know, what and, and I train not only my staff at the, that business to do this, but also my clients that I work with. I think recognizing early in the sales process that a prospect is not a good fit is a skill that can be cultivated. Yep. And my goal with my employees and again, with my clients now is that. I'm trying to train you to recognize as early as possible in the, in the process if a client is not a good fit. And then you just, re, you know, politely reject those people or tell them that you can't do business with them. Because ultimately, if you did business with them, it just becomes more of a headache than it's worth. Yeah. You know, think about the worst client you ever had. If you could like erase doing business from them <laughs> with them from your memory, would you do it? Of course you would. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, I know we're, I, you're laughing because you're like, you're like, I, I know it's just like so painful <laughs> to deal with those clients. It if is. you can see that ahead of time or see that before you even do business with them, that is like a superpower. Oh, to it me. totally is. It totally is. And, you know, I think that um, if I have this down, if I, if I understand this correctly, basically the, the process that, that you might recommend to somebody could be something like um, people, a lot of people come to the door, Right. And then you got to use your spidey senses to detect which ones are just going to be not good fits, right? Use that intuition. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the ones that are good fits, but they just have a lot of questions and they're like, 
they, maybe they're a little misguided on like the guarantees or somebody else said something or they're, they're looking for like a whatever. Do you, do you notice that there's a turning point? Cause one thing I've started to notice with some people who have like budget and everything is once I like say no enough times and they see that I'm like a valuable person who can solve their problems because I have options, I have leverage, like I don't have to take them on as a client. They eventually are like, oh, okay, that's fine. I understand. And then at that point you can kind of have them buy the product as is without questioning it. Like, do you usually notice that there's that transitionary phase where they eventually are, are fine and they're not really uh, pushing or, or does that not happen as often as, as, as you think, or as, as I think? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I would say it's 50, 50, you know, cause if I'm explaining something to someone and I, and I'm not, I really like to emphasize good communication, right? And I'm still working on being a good communicator. I think it's a lifelong skill that not just is valuable with your business, but really with your personal relationships, your significant other, everyone, right? So I'm always trying to really make sure that my communication is clear. And if I tell someone something or I explain something to someone and they're not getting it, I'll explain it in a different way or use an analogy or uh, you know, give an example maybe and if I've done that three or four times and they're still not getting it, then I'm just like, you know what? This is right. not, you know, it's just not, I'm, there, it's, I'm not getting through to them. And, you know, it's yeah. probably my fault, but that just means that because what you don't want, you know, business and really life in general is all about expectations, right? Yeah. If your expectations are really high and I can't deliver on them, then you're always going to be disappointed. But if your expectations are moderate, so like what I want to set up my business to do is, you know, give someone moderate and realist, but realistic expectations and then still blow them out of the water, right? right. That's right. what creates amazingly that's what creates raving fans for your business. And that's, for instance, how the Ritz Carlton works. Yeah. We took um, one of my favorite speakers at Anytime Fitness was they had the person who was in charge of customer service at Ritz Carlton come in and give us all the things that Ritz Carlton did for customer service. And I took a lot of those back to my Anytime mm. Fitness. And you know, we ended up winning a bunch of awards for customer service, both at Anytime Fitness and at my You Break I Fix stores. That's amazing. That's amazing. And uh I know I got to ask you about that. So I'm going to ask you about that. But I have one question as well, um, which is, so let's talk about incentives for keeping customers because, uh, you know, I've done a lot of polling of the audience listens to the show. A lot of people do about sixty three, $64,000 a month on average is like what, from who I've polled, they say they do in revenue. Nice. So that's like the average agency owner listening to the show. Awesome. That means they probably have employees, maybe like one or two minimum. How do you create incentives for sales reps and employees to keep customers forever? And do those incentives have to be created or is just the fact that they're going to be on long-term contracts with your teams or your companies you work with just naturally create the incentives? Because I mean, if someone's going to be around, you're going to have to fulfill and to keep them. Otherwise, they might just try to break the contract. But w do those incentives naturally create themselves just by having contracts? Or do you have to kind of create the incentives for your team, essentially? Oh, man, that's there's there's a lot to this question. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> that, that, the, the answer to that could be very complicated. So I, in general, I think humans like being incentivized to do a certain a certain thing, right? A certain task at their job or hit a certain goal. I, I generally think that they like that. Mm -hmm. 
But depending on someone's motivation for the incentive, it might work. The incentive might work well or it might not work super well. In other words, some people are very motivated by incentives where some others might not be quite as motivated. And then some people are actually turned off by incentives. And I think that their um, willingness to be motivated by an incentive generally varies a lot by position. So in other words, salespeople on average are very motivated by incentives because that's sort of the nature of sales. Whereas maybe yep. an engineer is probably not motivated yep. very much by an incentive because they want to do the job. And so I think that setting up incentives for people to have uh, to keep clients and to lower churn could be a good way to go for, let's say, an account manager. Mm-hmm. But to me, I almost think that that is just part of your job as an account manager, right? Let's just talk right. about account managers specifically. You know, that's just sort of your job is to do a good job with the client and to make sure that they're satisfied and to or exceed their expectations. And and to me, um, you know, it's interesting we're talking about this because with one of my clients right now, I'm actually working on how do you instill a culture of amazing customer service, right? And, ama- and exceeding expectations. It's not really just like a policy. It's more like the culture of the company. Yep. And as an example, let me, um, you know, let me just explain to you like one thing that we did at the my You Break I Fix stores. So I gave, and this, by the way, was also a point from Ritz Carlton. And I, so I'm not, I didn't come up with this on my own, but I just <laughs> thought it was brilliant. So we, I would allow any employee, not just the managers, any employee, even the entry level employees in my You Break I Fix stores to spend up to $500 per incident per client to make the situation correct or to wow them. And so that could mean buying a new phone for $500. That could mean driving to their house and delivering this phone that we repaired after hours for them or something like that. And, um, And that really empowered the employees to do amazing stuff and allowed the guests to really be, you know, have such positive surprises and be like, oh my gosh, this is, this is incredible that you did this for me. Thank you. And that really worked out well. That's incredible. So you, cause that's the big dilemma for us right now is we're starting to get people to three, six, 12 month contracts again, like we used to. And, uh, the big thing for us is who get, who, who, who shares the boatload of the responsibility. And I think I'm in charge of customer experience in the company. And so now I'm really thinking that it's kind of a shared, uh, responsibility. Like you said, it's the culture, but you know, like there's the tactical day-to-day stuff. And then there's the relationship that one might have with the salesperson. And I think that's why it's kind of tough because I would imagine, like I would imagine the salesperson has to have some relationship with the client ongoing because it's kind of like when you make all these promises to someone and then you never talk to them again, that could, that could maybe lead like a, leave a bad taste in someone's mouth. But also to your point, I mean, obviously you need to have a incredible account management system. You got to pay these people enough to care. You got to do all these kind of things that you're talking about. So I'm, yeah, I mean, that's really what I'm going through, but Figuring that out has been a uh, uh, very, it's like a puzzle, like trying to solve all the pieces, you know? So, yeah, well, and I think I like how you said that it's a puzzle. And I do think, for instance, let's just take the point about having the salesperson have an ongoing relationship with the client once they become a client. You know, so my thought process would be well, every minute that I spend, if I'm a salesperson, if I'm a salesperson, every minute that I spend with an existing client is one less minute that I could be selling to a new client. So, you know, they're, you know, you sort of have to take that into account. But on the other hand, 
what all the research shows is that the more connections to a business that someone has, the more likely they are to stay a long-term client. As an example, when I, I was as I was a bank teller, right? Mm -hmm. And what we would do is we would sell, you know, debit cards, like, hey, get a debit card for our bank, right? I worked at MI Bank. And what the research showed is that when you had you know, the more accounts you had at the bank and the more, and if you had a debit card and other services, the more likely you were to stay at the bank. I think it's very similar with, but even more amplified with people, the more people you know at an organization, the more likely it is that you want to continue to stay there, given of course that, you know, they're doing a good job. And yeah. so I do think that there could be some benefit from having the salesperson, you know, check in with the existing clients once in a while, because it creates an extra connection at your company. Yeah. Yep, and then it makes that client more likely to stay because they feel like they're more they more they feel like they're more like they're part of your company. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean the comp model that I because because I think a lot of it is like for our team and I think for a lot of people listening that you incentivize the sales reps based on the sales that they get every month. But I'm kind of trying to change it now where that actually is they have a quota they have to hit, but if they want to get bonuses, if they want to scale, it's about growing their book of business to beyond a certain size. Cause we're at the, again, we're at the six year mark. I care so much more that someone who is closed is going to stay forever than mm -hmm. if someone can just close a lot of sales. Cause I have a ton of sales reps. I know how to get sales reps now with the internet sales reps are kind of abundant. So, but good people that could do good work and build relationships and just be super honest and fun to work with. Those are a lot harder to find. I feel that good talent. And so, yeah, I think this is great hearing from you what your thoughts are on that. I have one final question, then I'll let you obviously share where people can connect with you and get in touch. But uh, for the, you said the, the Ritz Carlton, I'm curious to see what your, those lessons were. Are you able to share any of those in terms of what they, they say for customer success, customer experience? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's way too many to share, but um, I really liked the rule about having a certain dollar amount be pre-authorized for any employee, and I really feel like that's you can follow that rule with any you know any business. It's not just you know the one that I had, um, and obviously the dollar amount is different for each type of business, right? So for your business, it might be hundred dollars. I don't know. I'm just making this up. Yeah. Another thing though that I liked, even how the Ritz Carlton talked about their own employees. Here's what they would say. They, their, their motto is, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. You know, <laughs> they don't say we're, you know, it's just about how they talked about right, themselves. Right, right? Right. And so at You Break, I Fix, we would call the people coming in the store guests. They were not mm. customers. We would call them guests. Yes. And so the, even those small changes in language or parlance um, when you're talking, make a difference about how people think about the business, right? Yeah. And, and, and think about serving people. Yep. Um, another one was that when you're at the Ritz-Carlton, you, when an employee gets within a certain distance of a, a, a patron, of a, of a guest, they have to greet them. And I think it was like within 10 feet or something like that. My wife and I have stayed at the Ritz-Carlton just a handful of times. Um, and, you know, you could see that at every single time that we went, that they would always come up to you. And or, or like when you would get close to them, they would say, you know, good afternoon or good evening or whatever. It happened yeah. without, without fail. Super interesting. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, this is this is so insightful. Um, we've been thinking about calling everyone our partners instead of clients. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. If you, if you watch The Office... It's like ridiculous the things that Michael Scott does in that show, but <laughs> it's 
it's funny because it's like the older I get now, I'm like, wow, that really was the secret the entire time. Everything he says about <laughs> the old school business practices, just being like treating them like their their family, you know, just partners. That's really what keeps people. And it's it's crazy that um, it's so silly in that show, but it's actually just there's so much truth to that in life because very very rarely are people willing to do that. And that's why I think that's the core differentiator. I mean, I always kick myself for thinking like, man, how much bigger would my company be? And probably a lot of people listening on the real, uh, would their companies be if they actually did this from the beginning? I mean, it's, uh, hmm. it's not enough to just win on strategy and tactics because probably everyone listening to the show has enough experience running the business and doing marketing that it becomes commoditized. So you kind of have to try to win on something else uh, because mm -hmm. there's just so many people and there's always going to be that person who can do it for a fraction of the price. And sure. uh, they could probably, in a lot of cases, sometimes do it better than you. So that's where it's like, you know, you have to have something else that can get you there. So I um, definitely love having you on. Thank you so much. Rob, where can people go if they want to learn more about you, potentially work with you, uh, if you want to share anything with the audience? Yeah, absolutely, Lucas. Well, thank you again so much for having me. You can check out more about my work at my website. It's humansfirst.us. And then one thing I wanted to offer the listeners today is a complimentary 45-minute consultation with me to chat with you about your business and how your finances are going and you know how I might be able to help you uh, increase the profit profitability of your business and scale. Uh, in order to redeem that, all you need to do is just email me my email address is rob, R-O-B, at humansfirst.us. And uh, just email me and mention this podcast, and then we can set up a call for me to chat with you. It's really good. I've done the consultation this past week. It's really good. He definitely goes into a lot of detail, and I've already learned a whole bunch of stuff. So I uh, definitely would recommend it for anyone listening to this. Thank you, Rob, for being on the show. Uh, it's been great having you on, and uh, as always, a pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Until next time.